<laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm Alexis Hyde. I'm Erica Wong. And this is Hyde or Practice. This week, guys, hold on to your seats. Strap in, stand up, sit down. I don't know. Do what you want. Put left foot in, left foot out. Shake it all about. It's the hokey pokey. That's not true. It's hide or practice. And we have Virginia Bursma of the artist's office and soon to be the artist contract and an artist. It's a Mad Libs. It's fantastic. Welcome, Virginia. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm great. I'm doing well and I'm excited to talk with you both. Amazing. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. Will you please tell our lovely listeners why they are so lucky to have you in their ears this week? What do you do in your own words? It's so nice of you to frame it that way. <laughs> so I'm an artist. I'm based in Los Angeles. And uh, I think it was, it's been a few years, about two and a half years ago, I wanted to find a way to transition from my day job work, which has always been in office and administrative types of positions, take the skills and sort of my, um, uh, I don't know, my, my, my ability to be organized and put that work towards the service of artists. So I've enjoyed for a really long time having a day job that's not art world related where I can just show up and leave and not really care. But now that I've been doing that for a really long time, I have really wanted to be more engaged with the art community. So I handle, you know, sort of what I call the office work of being an artist for myself. Um, I spend a lot of time doing it. I apply to a lot of grants. I pay attention to a lot of open call opportunities. I write proposals for exhibitions. And I know that my artist friends frequently do not. They usually don't know about these things and miss deadlines because they don't have their materials together. So I, I initially you know, tried to help them, but ultimately the artist's office was developed to formalize that in a way that artists could come to me if they needed that type of help. Awesome. Awesome. I, I like can't. that we all smile at the same time. It's like, yeah, yeah, we know. We it's know a common need. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> solid ad- admin is like all of our sexuality. It's fine, guys. It's like, <laughs> this is what turns us on and I'm into Red it. Sheets. I mean, yes. let's talk about Excel. Yeah. Um, no, well, it's funny because I, before we get into the thing, we just did a call for an artist residency here in LA that I'm starting and you know, like two people applied within like hours. And I was just like, you've got your stuff together. And this is, it's just nice. Cause it's like, you know, no matter what I know, like you've got, you're on top of things and like yeah. you're responsible. And if you get this, this is going to be a good working relationship because I know that I can, you know, count on you to do these things. And it's just, it's nice. It's good, but the- it is hard. Yeah. Well, one of the best pieces of advice that I got was after I graduated from college, I had met an artist who's from LA and he invited me to come to his studio and he organized a a gallery and had a painter's group. And he himself had been doing fairly well. Like he is supporting himself as a, an artist. And a lot of the other painters in the group who were struggling kept coming to him for help. Like, Hey, you know, I need a sale. You know, can you throw me a bone? Can you hook me up with some sort of connection? And he would say, sure. You know, actually, I think I know somebody who'd like your work. Can you just send me a few images and your statement? And then it wouldn't happen. And he, this was like a constant thing, just artists missing out on opportunities because they can't do sort of those very simple things. And he said, if you have that stuff together, if you are prepared, you will rise to the top, you know, you will get opportunities. And, um, and that's why I'm an art star. (laughs) No, it doesn't like solve everything clearly, but it it definitely helps. And, um, and, and I've watched artists who, you know, just miss out on so many things because they aren't prepared. No, it's It's true. true. It's so true. I mean, it's like, you can't, you can't compete if you're not in the room. And you yeah. can't get in the room if you don't have your images or no your, fair. You know, what's being asked from you. Like you can't, like, that's just it. Like you will miss out on those opportunities because there will be no opportunity. 
Um, just getting in front of somebody is literally seven tenths of the battle. Um, and then that's when we can get into like the fun stuff of what's your art like? What's your personality like? Like what's your, you know, your schmoozing like, you know, those are the little icing things, but. And have people be return, you know, sort of uh, customers, if you will, you know, exactly. and want to keep working with you. I mean, I've done some curating as well. And every time I sort of get the urge, you know, I have an idea for a show and I start thinking about it. And then I think about how awful it is to work with artists, <laughs> you know, and just, oh, so disorganized. <laughs> They're really- I like, can't even contain that. It's so funny because I call Alexis. I'm like, I have to vent. <laughs> She's like, yeah, give it to me. I'm like, oh my God. Or if I don't know if you guys have this as well. But you contact an artist and you're like, can I get your documents? And like the first couple of emails, you're like, I'm going to try to be really polite and cordial. And then they don't respond and you're like, hello, like, are you still there? I'm so confused with what's happened now. And then you're like, do I follow up? Do I not follow up? But then, and then like the logic kicks in. It's like, but this is your career. Like how much more handholding, let's like, I can handhold you to a certain extent. And then it's just like, but then it's still your career. Like, I'm just trying to help you. Or like, you'll get some snarky remark. And then you're just like, I'm just trying to help you. Like, yeah. why is this happening? And then Alexis, can I imagine? She's like, Please. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, all of that is normal. It's absolutely regular everyday stuff when dealing with art. And don't get me, guys, if you're listening to this, like, you know how much I love you. Like, I love artists more than anything in the world. I would never, I don't want to do anything else in my life. But that doesn't mean everyone's perfect. And I do think that this is also where, like, the myths, and I know we're going to get into community shortly, but I'm so excited to be talking about this, like, always. Like, the myths of, like, you know, Charles Saatchi, who I know is problematic, but like, you know, someone's just gonna come in, they're gonna like stumble into your studio and buy the entire thing. Or right. like a curator is going to like, you know, come in out of the rain. Can I like stay here while it's raining? <gasps> what, you're an artist? Oh my gosh, here's a retrospective. This is the best stuff I've seen. It's just, these are, or like, you know, that you're just a solo person toiling away as like this, you know, struggling artist, like all of these myths that we create and that are told over and over and over again, because they make good copy. And they're well, more and we probably, we probably all know one artist that that's happened to, exactly. you know, we all know watched one. A peer that, you know, or somebody even maybe who's earlier in their career and just launch ahead, you know, I yeah. mean, there's no right. It feels like there's no rhyme or reason. Exactly. We should all be on the same path, right. but we are not. No, because that's when we did season one, episode, ooh, I want to say seven with Evan Trine on luck, because he's that guy. He had the gallerist walked into his MFA thesis, bought it, and then he was signed. And it's like, what? But now that he's been in his career for a hot minute, he's like, it's very difficult for me to do anything else. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how to network with curators. I don't know how to like advocate for my work now in a way that other people do. Like, yes, like he got the like move to three spaces ahead, but now that everyone else is also three spaces, you know, they've gotten there, like they know how to keep going and he's a little bit, you know, stuck. Um, so yeah, it, and it is, it's like, and it's so funny too, cause it's like, we all know the one, but that's one, right? Because like in all of our communities, which we will get to, you know, we know hundreds of artists and, you know, 99.9%, .9 that's not the situation that happens, but we all focus on like the, oh my gosh, someone's going to come in and right. it's going to be like my little the bar that, that becomes the bar. bar that we expect. Right. Or hope for, even though we could tell ourselves, you know, that doesn't happen. Then when you see somebody else, it's really hard to separate. Why not me? Why not me? <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, because feelings are hurt, right? And it's like winner takes all. So you're just like, oh, I wish that happened to me. Mm -hmm. and then yeah, it's like, but it it's a lottery, right? I mean, it's it's literally the lottery. Like you just don't know. Like Evan, yeah, it was like, it, but he was also prepared. Like he had a well hung show. Like the studio was clean. That's what the gallerist was looking for. Like it's just well, and there also, there are so many other. You know, there are things that go on behind the scenes that, or you know, there. I kind of look at it like everyone has their own advantages that you know they bring to their own table and 
it's easy to look at someone else's advantages and think if I only had that, if I only didn't have to have the day job, or if I had that family member who is sitting on the board at LACMA, or, you know, it's, it's so easy to, I mean, when you start looking and sort of peeling back the layers, you can find that usually when someone is getting a lot of opportunities, there is a reason for it. And you may not have access to that reason. And maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair, but looking at that as a whole picture type of thing can again also help you as an artist to not be um, so disheartened by you not getting that opportunity when you would have never been considered for it. Right. And finding the ways that you, you know, finding how to use your own advantages or create advantages for yourself, which, I mean, maybe we can talk, you know, you keep talking about, we're going to talk about community. I no, mean, for me, that's something that I, it's true. you know, mention a lot or think about a lot is, you know, cultivating your own network and creating your own opportunity for yourself. Um, if you, you know, lack, you know, that family member on the board. <laughs> yeah, no. And I will say in, in, cause in LA, this is like such an easy uh, comparison to make here when people are like, Oh, like, well, if my dad was a, a dealer, or my mom was an artist or, you know, my uncle was, you know, at MoMA, whatever the, the, the situation could be. It's like, yeah. Like, I mean, it does seem from the outside, it's like, Oh, well, Dakota Johnson's parents are movie stars. So of course she's a movie star. And it's like, well, no, but if you look at how many movie stars have kids who aren't movie stars, right? Like, it's just, it, it just isn't always the, you know, the greased wheel that you think it's going to be, you know, there's a reason that, you know, she's gone as far and some people do. And then some people don't, you know, I mean, people are the children of bigger movie stars than her and they don't have the career she does. Um, and they have the challenge of distinguishing themselves exactly. and being, you know, everyone looking, you know, everyone probably does look at them like, Oh, you got that Nepotism. because of your parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So it's so like, there's, if, it's its own, its own group of, of issues. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it must suck also to always have it prefaced as your so-and-so's daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. And that like, that has to hurt. Cause you're just like, I'm, I'm just a human being. Like I'm, I've done a whole portfolio of things and you won't recognize for it. You won't recognize me for it. And the only recognition or the legitimacy that the Academy is going to grant me is I'm so-and-so's offspring. Like, what about my hard work? Like, that's terrible. Right. Yeah. No, it's On a- that note. I'm going to go into community because we're never going to get into it. Erica has to be the, she's the wrangler here. She's the one who's like, all right, Alexis, let's get back to, we have a point here. Sometimes. (laughs) So Virginia, tell us, where did you find your community? How did you find it? Well, so in Los Angeles, which is where I've lived for, um, I think it's coming up on 10 years or 11. I have lost track. And I technically live in Long Beach, but my studio is in downtown LA. I've also had a studio in Inglewood. So when I moved here, I moved from Chicago. I've lived in a handful of cities. And since I graduated college, which was many, many years ago, I have been so excited about this idea of what I thought being a part of an artist community would would be like. And, you know, you hang out with artists, you drink wine, you, you know, talk about important things. And every city that I moved to, I had a really hard time finding that. And especially in Chicago, since I did not go to school there, um, I really felt like an outsider and people just in the art community seemed to have no interest in (laughs) having anything to do with me. So I, I struggled for a long time to try to find a place where I could be a part of a community. When I moved to Los Angeles, I intentionally got a studio in a artist studio building. Uh, I had heard about it before I moved to the area. This was the first time I rented a studio space that always worked out of, you know, my living room or something. So, um, but I really wanted to try to get connected to the art community and be a part of one. And it really did help. So, I mean, it was a, it was a great, I was at the Beacon Arts building. It was a, Um, they were really focused on trying to create a community of artists. So a lot of us hung out together. We all went to shows, you know, went to gallery openings. Um, And so that was a really great 
entree into the Los Angeles art world. And LA in general, I have found to be so much easier to get connected and feel a part of the, the art community here. And I, I don't know, my, this is my personal belief, is that so many people come to LA with this idea that anything goes, if you just sort of you know, put, um, put some effort into it, you can make something happen, uh, happen for yourself. And people are willing to try things. So I think they're really open to meeting people for better or for worse, because you never know who can help you <laughs> and, you know, what, or what somebody else is doing that you might want to be a part of. So that's sort of what I've experienced. And of course there are all different pockets of different art worlds within the Los Angeles art community. Um, and I like to try to float between them, but I overall, I've felt that it's just so much easier. Um, and so at this point, I'm really, happy to have what I sort of think of as like a core group of really solid, trusted artists, friends. Um, that did take me a while to find those people. But generally speaking, I feel like I could go to almost any opening, see somebody I know, see a friendly face and have somebody to say hi to, which is huge, I think. I do. I've had the same experience in LA work and I've talked about it all the time. One of the number one reasons I love this place so much is like everyone's kind of got these really, really big dreams. So no one's judgmental of your big dreams and everyone's really like open. Like, yeah, like let's, it's like, let's roll with it. Let's see like what happens, but it does take time. And I think this is something we've talked about, like touched on, but not in like depth. Like it is one thing to find like people and like, you know, have, you know, be comfortable out and about. And then it's another thing to find like your, your people, people. Yeah. And I think the thing that we are hearing throughout the season though, is that it does take a while. Like there's very few people who just like, you know, are just spit into their city with like a solid network of people that they can like rely on. And even though, and again, this is like, FOMO guys and maybe I'm projecting like it's even though like when you see it it seems like from the outside oh this person's got so many people that must be like so great again like that might just be the casual people like you don't know like you don't know what their experiences are or where their things can go so it's better to kind of focus inwards on that um but I would say that I think um actually scratch that I'd rather ask about because you've found like your people people and then recently you started the artist's office with that like when you were finding your people people and working in the studio where did you find that it was easy to talk to other artists about like their admin struggles or like where they were doing or advice or things like that because I do feel like a lot of people get nervous about asking questions like that or like oh I don't know like is this normal how do I write an email do you like this picture? Do you think this is a good picture to send? Should this be one of my selects? Just, you know, general kind of like collaboration like that, because it can be a very solo experience and we do yeah. need people. That's why the artist office guys. Yeah. Um, you, when I, when I started the artist office, I started it really small. I've never been an entrepreneur and I never wanted to be, um, you know, I, there, there are things I struggle with, with my own art practice. Um, you know, I don't pretend to know how to, uh, be a great salesperson of your, <laughs> your artwork. So I really focused on the things that I felt I knew and that I had to offer. So my very first service was a subscription for artist deadlines and, um, not just like a slew of everything going on every open call, but a really all subscribers get a really tailored, um, selection uh, that's based on their priorities. And I knew, I felt I could do this because I, for many years, um, have kept a giant database calendar spreadsheet of oh, the, <laughs> the deadlines so that so, I can just follow along every year, you know, in January, this deadline happens every year in March, this deadline happens. And then there's a whole list of things that are rolling and things to keep an eye out for. So I do this for my, myself. And I, um, you know, I, there are problems with open call opportunities. I'm not saying that they're the, the greatest thing for artists to only pursue, but I do think that they are great in that they are supposedly open to all artists that fit their criteria. You don't have to wait for an invitation. So this is 
a step that artists can take on their own behalf. So that's why I'm such a big um, advocate for at least knowing what opportunities are available to you. And, you know, almost all grants, which who doesn't want an artist grant are open call. So I have this huge calendar and I counted up all the opportunities I had. And I knew that I could at least tell artists guaranteed between three and five solid vetted opportunities for their art practice every month um, out of the hundreds of deadlines that I knew about every year. So that was my first service. And then I started offering help with just assembling materials, um, like making sure your artist statement is in, within word count. And then after I got comfortable doing that, I started expanding based on what artists need help with. Um, and I definitely, you know, I don't like to be overconfident. So I was, um, you know, I didn't want to under deliver on anything. So I've grown into helping artists with things like they're writing their actual statements for applications. But at this point, I've worked on so many myself. And when I, when I see somebody else's submission and go, oh, I can totally make that better. You know, I, then I realize that I do have something to offer. Um, you know, you were saying a lot of artists, you know, this isn't their top priority or they don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, so I have, I've, I have spent a lot of time on it. So I guess I've learned something through doing it that now I've gained a lot of confidence and ultimately my goal is to help the artists. And I will, I will say if there's something I can't do, but, um, but it, it took me a while to, to get to that place where I really felt good about, um, you know, helping someone with an important application and feeling that, yes, I, I could make it better. I could make it a stronger submission um, and not, and, you know, and charge them for it, <laughs> you know, and uh, instead of just wasting their time and wasting their money. No, I mean, that's just... so useful. So it really, useful. it's so useful because I think um, like similar to what you do, I think a lot of times artists, they see open call and they're like, I'm going to apply for it. And they're like, Grant, I'm going to apply for it. And it's like, do you fit though? And they're like, I don't care. And you're just like, but you, but then it's just like, you're going to feel so rejected because you, it's like, it's not, it might not be you. It might not be your practice, but you might not be the person that they're looking for or like the candidate. They're not looking for one person. They're looking for something. And it's really difficult to, to explain that when, when you're, you're like, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that grant. And you're just like, mm. so it's always so useful to go and talk to someone. It's like, okay, I do this. Do I fit into whatever grouping it is and so it almost like takes that hurt out and it's just like no 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 this isn't for you but you can try this and they're like well, oh okay and also um so with some of the grants I've started tracking I guess the statistics of who the grantees are um and I use this as an example I love Artadia I think they're doing a great job but I use Artadia as an example a lot um I probably am not going to get the Artadia grant if you look at statistically, historically, who they have given the grant to, um, I don't have a master's degree. I, you know, they, you know, up until recently, I mean, I think it was something like a really large percentage of their grantees have been CalArts graduates, you know, and this doesn't mean that, that going forward, you know, you can predict who they're going to choose. However, sometimes you can look at certain opportunities and look at the breakdown and exactly what you're saying. Are, are you the artist that they are looking for? And, you know, if they particularly, you know, if a grant clearly uh, prioritizes work that has a social justice emphasis, for example, and you don't have that, of course, you're probably not going to get selected. Um, but, you know, there, I, I talk about rejection a lot because, um, yes, exactly. Even if you are the artist that is the most, that seems the most qualified, or you think your work is such a perfect fit. The problem with these open call opportunities is that artists are desperate, desperate for opportunity. And so many people apply to them and only a few can be chosen. So it is a constant cycle of rejection. And, you know, I try to post my own statistics about, you know, well, I applied to X number this year, I got this many no's, this many yeses. So usually, you know, it fluctuates, but some years I'll have 2% of everything I applied for was a yes. Um, so that's just sort of the reality of open call uh, opportunities is you're putting your work in a slush pile with, you know, however many other artists 
So it's, it's not the best system towards success. However, it is something that you can do on your own behalf while you're waiting to drum up those other opportunities through networking, through being, you know, through being engaged in your community until people know who you are and are finding you. Or maybe if you have a slow period, um, you know, and using the open call opportunities for filler on your resume. Or I've also done it to expand my practice by wanting to show that I um, uh, am interested in a particular thing uh, like reincorporating murals into my practice and finding a open call mural opportunity so I can get one done and show that this is a part of my practice and then the invitations will start to come. Um, so I think these, you know, these types of things serve a lot of uh, functions, but they are also not perfect, um, you know, like everything in an artist's career. <laughs> no, for sure. Like I recently got a rejection from the LACMA grant and you know I had like four people reading the application Alexis included and she's like yeah you fit into this but and it's just like sometimes you get a whole bunch of people who are all in the art world and they're just like yeah yeah, you completely fit into this call and then you write it and then you like wait for like half a year and then there's like nope sorry and you're just like okay well you know if I haven't heard from you in half a year I probably won't get it anyway but like it's just that that's sort of like the thing you don't you don't know you're putting in your name just like everyone else however what I do appreciate is when you are forced to put what you do on paper and you actually have found human language to go and relay your thought to someone else I find that to be really useful because then the next time when you speak to somebody rather than like having this 20 word adjective monologue to explain to someone like a very simple thought you've had to really condense and make it super concise and now you can just say it and people are like oh and so it's not like like I would like to believe that it's not just a pure maintain and struggle cycle it you also actually get something out of it you know you do get to refine your craft in, in terms of how you describe yourself and what that means and I don't I don't think that it's actually even if you get a rejection it's not the worst thing you still get something out of it and then you could probably copy and paste and like amend for the next application and you keep doing it and I remember like the first oh my god two three application it was just brutal trying to go and write it you're like (laughs) will this ever end like will I stop getting the question mark is like, what is this? What are you talking about? Like, who are you talking to? And it's like, I need to run into the wall now because that would feel better than like my broken little heart. And eventually yeah. you're just like, you'll, yeah. you'll get there. No, well, that's the other- the- oh, sorry. I was no. just going to add to that, that the other thing that you can, you know, not only do you get better at writing and describing your, your work and your practice, but um, you can also, I, I've sort of used... Uh, opportunities like this to expand my thinking about my, my, my practice and um, pitch a project for something that, you know, is bigger than you've ever done. And maybe you don't get the funding, but now you've got this idea for this amazing installation that you would have never given yourself the, the chance to develop the idea for. And so maybe you find other funding for it, or maybe you decide to pursue it on your own without the grant. Um, but yeah, there can be so many other advantages to applying to these, uh, you know, putting together your materials, looking at it as a whole presentation, learning to present your work and your ideas in a clear and thoughtful way that's, um, you know, that's going to, that's going to catch people's attention. It's hard. Oh, I hate it when they're like, show us your budget. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> how do I break this Tell down? me I've got it. And I'll actually start calling and figuring out how much these things cost. No, it's really, because there's, I read an article the other day. I'll try to find it and put it in the blurb guys about, uh, and it's a little bit different because it's as a writer's perspective. And that person goes for, their goal is to get a hundred rejections a year. Oh yeah. Cause they're like pitching, pitching, pitching for all of these things. And they're just like, well, if I get a hundred rejections a year, a couple of them are going to be yeses and that's how I'm going to work. And that's like my goal. It's not about getting a hundred yeses. It's about getting a hundred no's. And I love that. Like, cause then it's like, yeah, dude, you're just like doing it. But then also, I mean, I know. Yeah. You can, you also regarding like having the application done 
it's so this is what you know i've worked at like major firms and for major artists we just cannibalize what we've done in the past and we just you know copy and paste it into the next one we're not reinventing the wheel so like once you've invented your wheel every subsequent wheel yeah <laughs> is easier um and then also i mean but and then there is the case it literally happened to me last year i sent a proposal to an artist friend and i was like this is perfect for you for this public piece submit he came up with a brand new idea did not get the proposal or did not get the the grant or whatever the funds were. And then like within, I'm in my memory, it's a week. It was probably like two months. Uh, somebody, somebody was like, Hey, uh, I just heard that this park in Shanghai is looking for public work. Do you have anything like available? And he's like, funny that you mentioned it. And he just shot over this, you know, everything that he had had, he'd just done for this other one that he didn't get it. And he got it because boom, he had it. He was ready. And that's what it was. It was about timing. And if he, if he'd had to take the time to come up with a new proposal or like, you know, get the images and come up with the wording and do all of that admin stuff that I am always begging people to do ahead of time. And, and that you can also guys use the artist office to get, do now. I'm, you know, if he'd had to wait six weeks, there is a 99.9% chance that that Shanghai park would have found another artist who had right. something immediately ready. And it was about the art, absolutely. If he had given them something terrible, they wouldn't have done it. But it was about getting in the door. And there's a time frame for that because again, like Erica always loves to say, like we're all just humans. Like we're just regular people. And like someone's on a deadline and someone needs to show something to their boss and it's better done than perfect. And make their job easy. And it makes their job easy. And then they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I wanna work with you. Like yeah. you've got all of this stuff ready. I can count on you when I ask you, do you know when this, when the next, you know, part of this project is going to be done. And if you tell me in a week, I can trust that those, I mean, that's huge when you're just trying to get like working with people, same thing, like with curation, like, you know, this is why artists are terrible and I love you guys so much, but it's like, if I need, if I have an install between four and six on Tuesday and you ask me if you can come on Wednesday because you're not done yet, <laughs> well, like we'll have to make it work but like you just like ruined my full like my full day like I now I've got to like you know go out of my stuff because you couldn't get your stuff done on the deadline and I'm gonna right. remember that for the next show and that's a bummer yeah that's just so a be prepared bummer. I guess that's yes. like always the rule of thumb it's I feel like I'm so hurt today guys <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know, I, I try to remind artists that, um, that hate this type of thing that you can do it with, other, you know, you can make it fun. You can do it with other people. I mean, I've, I've formed, um, groups that I work with, uh, of other artists where we support each other in more business oriented things. And I mean, getting, you don't, you don't have to come up with everything yourself either, you know, um, having, you know, I've done uh, co-work, virtual co-working sessions, you know, where just like sitting your butt in the seat and everyone's showing up and we work quietly for an hour. I mean, a lot of artists just need that, you know, designated time. And if you can do it collectively and, you know, again, find those trusted people that um, artists who are, you know, that um, find your people, you can have their, their input and again, don't have to do it all yourself. And, you know, get together, have some cocktails or, you know, some nice juice and snacks and, you know, <laughs> help each other write your statements. Cause it's just so much easier to write somebody else's statement than it is yours or to reflect back on it. So you can save so much time, have a better, you know, probably better time at it, getting together with a group of three or four really close friends that you trust and helping each other. Um, it doesn't have to be all overwhelming. And if you, you know, if you don't have the money to, to hire somebody to help you, use your use your artist community and be that support for one another yes yes Yes. it's also i mean i was thinking about this like last week i was doing a call for the residency and you know we just get in our heads too like if you're working on it solo it's just this echo chamber of like your own thoughts and you know our assumptions of what other people know so it's always good, even if it's not, if, you, if all of your artist friends are terrible and you don't want to show it to them because you're too embarrassed, like send it to like literally anybody. Yeah. Because if they're like really confused and you, can, and you can explain, oh no, this is art language, people are going to understand that. Like yeah. I got into a fight about the word practice last week, guys. It was really, 
frustrating. And I hope you can just feel how heavy and deep that sigh was because this PR person just did not understand what an art practice was. And he was like, let's use a different word. I was like, let's not because that's not what it is. And he's like, well, people are going to be confused. I was like, well, if those people are confused, that's fine. The people that I need to read this will know what it means. And that's my demographic when it comes to this. So I'm not concerned about this. I mean, this was like a two day thing, guys. It was really 48 hours over one word. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm very upset. But the, but it is. We've all had that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I had that this morning. Right. I literally had someone's like, what is this? Why are you missing? You write gear. Where is the R? And I'm like, I don't know what it is. I need to Google it to find what the R stands for. Right. But I'm just like, this is like, this is it guys. Like this is the, but I also like, I can defend, like, this is why I'm using this word. And so if you do send it to like a stranger and they'll be like, or not a stranger, but like a friend who's not in the art world and they're like, you know, a CPA and they're like, I don't understand what like, you know, your non-conceptual non-narrative filmmaking, what does that even mean? Nobody knows what that means. And you're like, oh no, they do. That's fine. That's not an issue. What about the rest of it? And then someone will be yeah. like, I don't know. I'm not clear about like how long this project takes. And then you'd be like, great. Okay. It's six months. I did not put that in there. Yeah. Thank you very much. And then you can get the perspective that you need to be able to put that stuff down because in your head, you're like, of course it's six months. It's always been six months. It's never not been six months, but nobody reading your stuff can you know, know that unless you tell them. So yeah, I, I, I've noticed a lot of art, well, a handful of artists I've worked with have their artist statement and neglect to say what they make. Yes. You know, they talk about their ideas and what, you know, they're working so hard to make it a powerful statement about their work. And you're like, what do you make? You know, mm -hmm. do, are you a painter? Are you a dancer? <laughs> right. And yeah, overlook, overlook those types of basic things. I will say this though. I think that it's great to ask people who are outside of the art world to see if, if they can understand it. Um, I forget who it was or where I read this, um, but somebody, which hope maybe I'll figure out who it was. I probably have it written down somewhere was saying that, you know, you can use, if you have those, um, what did you say? A non-consensual I don't remember your full complicated practice, uh, word, but you know, oh, if you have, yeah, like a non-contextual, like non-narrative based <laughs> filmmaking. Yeah. So you have that and, and people are like, what, what is that? Um, you can be very generous in your statement and use something that is the correct description of your work or the, the actual, you know, um, very obscure reference you are making a whole body of work around, whatever it is. And very simply give an explanation and invite the reader to, to know. I mean, there are so many things, you know, that I don't know about if somebody is doing some work around some sort of cellular biology, and then they're describing a thing that I don't know what it is, you know, um, you know, it's, you can, you can find ways to invite different audiences in without dumbing it down um, and losing your, your specificity. This is, we've never touched on this. This is such a good point because this is exactly, because if I, if someone knows what non-narrative based filmmaking is about, then you, when you explain that really quick in the next sentence, I'll just skim over that sentence because we're all, you know, adult Got humans it. who know how to read and I yeah. know how to like skim the pertinent information to get to where I need to be. But if I don't know what non-narrative uh, filmmaking is, I can be like, oh, this is, Oh, oh, okay. I see. Like, it's not following a chronological order. Got it. Okay. Now on to the next one. And you're making people, and this is just like, again, like this is like armchair Freudian, like 101, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I am a human. If I don't feel dumb after reading what you've given me, um, I'm going to feel better about you. Yeah. You don't, that's I mean, a, yeah. So that's many, that truth. Right. You, everyone wants to sound smart, but sometimes that, that works against them because they're, you know, kind of clawing at terms that maybe, you know, are just, they're trying to sound smarter, but instead they're making it harder to understand their work. And yeah, I mean, I will add to that though, you know, people wanting to sound smart. I just finished grading. And I think one of the students, you, when you read things and you're like, this doesn't sound like it's coming out from someone who's 18. You, so like, there's also like that line when you're reading someone's work and you're like, this doesn't, like there's something that just doesn't quite fit. And if you're reading someone's work, you're through 
like the lens of applying for a grant or you're an artist statement you're like there's something that doesn't quite flow here and I'm not really entirely sure what it is and it might not be that I'm dumb but like there's just something that's triggering your brain and you're like mm, there's something weird here I don't know mm. if you ever feel that as well like usually but when, the thesaurus tool in word yes is what it usually is it's like I don't think that word means what you think it means and I don't think you use that in conversation or in like actual thing but there is but that's the thing though right like it's like you're trying too hard to sound smart or you're trying too hard to come off as something else and people can sense it because it doesn't come off naturally which is also why there are some incredibly brilliant thinkers out there who write essays and you know it's just and you're reading it and you're like, oh my God, you're so smart, but I don't feel stupid for reading it just because I'm not on your level. Um, so there's a way to do it like naturally. And there's a way yeah. to not make you feel, but have your audience feeling like turned off or just like, oh, this is, I don't know it's what you're saying. It's just informative. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really nice. Cause I get comments like trying too hard, trying too hard, come back. Like this isn't regular human language, come back. You're making us work to, no, you're working too hard for us. You need mm. to just use regular language. And I'm like, oh, or I'll get things like, I've changed things. And then like the comment is two what? And then I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then I just sit there and I'm like, I don't know how to answer this I question. Don't I don't know. I don't know. And it's, it is really nice to get someone who edits your work um, who's outside of the art world because my editor is a sociologist. So she'll ask me questions like, what? Or she'll like highlight the entire block and be like, words, rewrite. <laughs> she'll say like, this is two sentences, find it. And I'm like, eh. yeah. yeah, but it's like, it's true though. It's like working too hard, like come back. We don't, we don't need you to work so hard because you just need to convey the thought. And I'm like, Oh, well, and if you think about the people reading it, if, if this is, I mean, honestly, how many people read an artist statement at their show? I don't know, maybe 12 total out of 200. Yeah. So if if you think of who's reading, you know, if, if the people who, if you are applying for something where there is a jury, who's going to be reading, however, you know, however many hundreds of statements, um, I mean, imagine reading that many artist statements and how tedious that would be, unless they're engaging and interest. If you have to try hard and it's like reading Proust instead of reading, um, you know. Uh, I'd rather read Dr. Seuss, guys. Let's start doing our artist statements <laughs> in rhyme. What rhymes with ceramics? Dynamic. There you go. Go. You're winning at this, this whole. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Idea of the art student. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you read like every, every uh, tip for, you know, oh, you're applying to this grant, here's your tips. It's always just be clear and concise. Just say what you do, be clear, cut to the chase. Don't, you know, we'll give you 300 words. If you can do it in 200, even better, you know, it's just get to the point. If you, if you don't know how to say what you do, that's a problem. Which is another thing, I, we, you know, community, like you've got to talk this out. And what Erica was saying, like, I, now I know how to talk about my work a little bit better because each application, you have to, you have to come up with those words. It's because you have to, because they, they're asking for them. So if you don't give them yeah. to them, then you're definitely not getting the grant. Yeah. <laughs> and well, you can't, and you can't fill it up with BS because it's also, you know, the other thing is that we haven't touched on about this, but in, the reverse side of applying for something is you're applying to someone. And when someone is a jury or an HR manager or a whoever, you know, they're reading submissions, it doesn't take long to read things before that person can start sussing out the BS. I'm not even kidding guys. I, when I was the, this is like such a side tangent, but it's absolutely true. When I was as the director of the Museum of Broken Relationships, I can read a fake breakup story. I can tell, like, I can just tell, like I've, <laughs> I read so many breakup stories, like thousands at this point now. I know when you're lying to me or I know when it's like, mm, that's not right. And then someone will be like, oh yeah, that's a lyric from this or it's an excerpt from this book. And I'm like, oh, there you go. Like I knew because that's not how people talk about things. Same thing when I was like, if I've ever been in like a management position when people are writing like their cover letters, which ultimately it's just like, I just want to make sure that you, you're following directions. And like, you have like at least a little bit of a 
you know, I did the bare minimum amount of research about where I'm applying to. Um, but it's the same thing with like artist statements. Like I can just, I can sniff out like your, this isn't how you talk. This isn't your word. These aren't your words about your practice. These aren't words about any practice, you know? <laughs> and it's the same thing. Like with, with and I, part of it too is like, you know, being, having done, you know, arts writing for a while, like I can read these like, you know, press releases and I'm just like, oh my gosh. I mean, guys, I can do a, pre I can, I can give you a press release about my, my coffee mug right now and sell it to you. Like it's a sculpture. Like it's a, like, a, it's like a solo show of this one piece. I can do it. Cause it's just the same kind of language, like over and over and over again. But which isn't to say that it's a bad thing. We do repeat these things. And I did just kind of like go off on a tangent of like my own personal issues. I apologize guys. But the, the thing is, is at the end, like the truer you are to yourself, people do pick up on it because we're used to communicating in certain ways, even in the art world. And yes, there's art speak and yes, there's like the source uses and, you know, yeah, some of it's like a little bit like BS if we're going to talk about the, you know, the metaphysical uh, experience of caffeine consumption uh, in the morning of, you know, Los Angeles summers on a post solstice day. Like we can get, we can take it there if we want yeah. to, but also that reeks of bullshit. Yeah. Well, and you make a good point that if you, I mean, I'm always recommending this to artists too, is read other artist statements, mm -hmm. you know, look at how they present their work, look at, you know, how, look at how they talk about their work. Um, <clears throat> another thing I go on and on about is look at other artists CVs because, <clears throat> excuse me, because I think there's so much information you can glean from an artist CV and so many artists don't have them um, or don't put them on their website, but you can learn and figure things out by seeing how other artists are doing it and, and start to be able to identify those things. Like you're saying, you know, when you find, when you see somebody who writes a really excellent artist statement or their presentation of their work on their website is so solid, then they set the bar for you and you want to try to match that. And then maybe you find somebody beyond that, you know, and it, it just really helps give a gauge because we don't receive any of this. Most of us don't receive this in our art education programs. Um, and you have to, you're just kind of dropped into the art world to figure it out. Um, but use the people around you, whether they're your friends or not, you know, use, uh, look at other, you know, I, I always uh, use Christina Quarles as an example, because on her CV, she in includes all of the curators on her, <laughs> on her exhibitions, which I think is, you know, that's smart, Christina. Oh, damn. <laughs> and, you know, that's we've watched so her ever. skyrocket. Mm -hmm. um, How's her worth? Yeah. If you want to look at something totally impractical to, you know, gauge yourself against, look at her CV. But um, it's, you know, there's a lot of information that you can learn at pathways that artists have taken to get where they are by looking at their CV. That's so smart, though. But that goes back to like things that we were talking about, like in season one networking with Natasha Caruana uh, about like, you know, like you butter, butter up the people who are making the decisions, man. If I'm included on your CV because I curated a show, I'm going to feel really appreciated and I am going to be that much more inclined to include you in my next one because I feel like I've been recognized the same way an artist feels recognized when their work is credited properly or when they're included. Because again, back to what we, nobody talks about enough, in my opinion, is that we're all just regular people. <laughs> Yeah, we're all regular humans with like, you know, emotions and somebody I was I got I almost got into it. And then I was like, don't waste your time this weekend. Someone's like, you have to take your emotions out of work. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, that's impossible. That's such a that's such a non thing to just do. deny like, part of your humanity. Yeah, just like to just be a robot, yeah. be a robot. And it's like, that's not how it's not how this works. It's not how any of it works. And for anybody to say that's how it works is it's, I don't know if it's naive or if it's aspirational and I don't even know why it would be aspirational. Like why, why would you want to get back right. to what Jane McCarty said? Um, why would you want to, why would you want it to be alone? Why would you want to do it without feelings? Why don't you want to like love and be passionate and be scared and be, you know, that's how we grow. Um, that's scary. It is scary. It's absolutely terrifying. I do. I mean, we're recording this on the 21st. And last Tuesday of June. So, of June. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, we're just, we're recording on the, on the 32nd Wednesday. of February guys. Uh, we're on the 21st of June. And so last week I did the announcement for the residency and the whole week before that, like I knew it was happening. I have this budget approved. I've got all of this stuff going and I'm still scared out of my mind. 
I'm like so nervous. And I'm like all these like cryptic posts on all of my social media and people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I am scared and I am exercising those emotions through this. But also on the other side of being scared is I announced it and I am thrilled and I'm proud and I'm excited to work on these things. Why would I not want to have my emotions in this? Yeah. I've noticed flex feelings. Yeah. I've noticed I get this way too, where I get, I have um, a really great feeling day of high energy. I'm so gung ho for all of the things that I have plans coming up ahead and I set balls in motion that then are rolling into my days when I feel like I want to be a hermit and I'm feeling maybe a little low energy or discouraged or something. And I've got these balls in the air that now I have to face like, oh, I scheduled that workshop or I organized the, you know, I'm spearheading this initiative that involves being around other people, you know, and you don't have that energy. I mean, it's, it's, I think it, if you're not aware of, of all of those, you know, the, um, the factors that play a role into, you know, I mean, artists generally, well, not generally, a lot of artists um, have a hard time with um, being visible and putting themselves out there. They just want to make their work. And so there, I mean, there are a lot of complicated things that affect confidence, which impacts an artist's ability to um, move forward in their career. And if you don't address, you know, I have arguments with people about the confidence gap all the time, you know, it's a real Mm -hmm. thing. Like it's a real thing. That's something that affects the dollars in your bank account is how you feel and how you, what opportunities you're, you pursue. Like that's, if that's not related to your job, you know, I mean, obviously it is. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, really quick before we get into Erica's next question uh, because we're gonna run I don't want to take up too much of your time today um although I would I would if I could um what's the artist contract going to be so the artist contract um it is it does exist now it's um yeah so it's and you're gonna be on season five oh nice so this will be a little teaser um so you uh artists can go to artistcontracts.com artists with an s contract.com uh, so during the pandemic, uh, uh, an attorney who had taught a workshop through the artist's office on contracts for artists and I were having a conversation about doing another workshop. And um, we started discussing, uh, you know, different things that we could put into an artist sales agreement that we'd been, you know, I'd kind of been talking with some of my friends about ways that we could continue to benefit financially from our work after it's sold and different um, sort of terms that we wanted to have in a sales agreement. And so my colleague, Susan Schwartz, she's the attorney and an artist uh, said, well, why don't we do a workshop and um, let's just look into this more. And then we'll have a community discussion about contracts and what artists want. And that, Uh, launched this project in which we've been talking with artists about what rights they feel like they cannot assert in the art world. And usually this is because agreements are not in writing. Everything's a handshake deal. Um, Artists are usually the most disempowered party in a transaction relationship in the art world, whether you're dealing with a gallery director or a dealer or a buyer and so it brought up all of these, um, these issues of, again, artists not feeling like they could ask for certain things that were important to them. So it's become a larger advocacy project, first of all, for artists to use contracts to protect their work, protect their rights, protect their interests in it, um, and get artists familiar with asking for a contract and how to negotiate one. And then we also drafted a sales agreement called the FAIR contract, F-A-R-E, which stands for Fair Artists Reserved Equity, which means that it's a, it's a way for artists to be treated more fairly after their work sells. So like a um, musician who gets royalties or you know, an actor um, who gets royalties for movies that continue to stream, um, artists, if their work goes to resale and is exponentially higher in price, artists should get a fair share of that. So that's what the resale royalty clause is advocating for. But within all of this, it's putting the power in the hands of artists to make decisions on their own behalf and to get then ask for things in a contract so that they can enforce those decisions. So we've got the fair contract. All of this is free to use for artists. 
We're adding more contracts, all of the art, uh, all of the contracts that artists will normally use, like a cease and desist letter. That's not a contract, but like a cease and desist letter, consignment agreement, representation agreement. Um, of course, we have the sales agreement for free in a easy questionnaire software that then auto populates your contract that you can download in word form and have it all be with the like legal, you know, language. Um, but you don't have to read it and get intimidated when you're trying to understand what a force majeure is and all of that stuff. Um, you just fill out a questionnaire like, do you want a resale royalty? Yes. Do you want to prevent resale for a period of years? Yes. How long? Five years. Yeah, very easy. And then you go Sexy. poof and you have your word document contract. Oh All free. God. I love it. I love it. Oh, I can't wait to talk to you more about that. This is perfect, guys. Subscribe. This is perfect. Because like, like you've just reminded me, I just we were just uh, talking about the new website for it to practice practice. And this is all going to be included into the resources that we were just talking about. So that's going to be great. Amazing. Yeah. And Love a good survey. Yeah. We're hoping we're, you know, we're um, going to be adding to the website. We've also been building a coalition around artists who want to participate in the project, want to use the contract. Um, you know, if artists use the contract, they can, we would love to know and reshare it on Instagram. Um, part of this is bringing visibility to, to this issue by showing that artists, you know, it is, it is a best professional practice to ask for contracts and, you know, in these, in these important agreements. So um, encouraging artists to do that because a lot of artists have been told, oh, no, 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 uh, you can't ask for that. We don't put things in writing um, and have been made to feel bad about it. And then they end up getting screwed. So we don't want that. So they're all working episode. together I mean, to encourage each other that you should protect your artwork. You should protect your work. We all should be protecting our work and ultimately building better relationships between us and the people we work with. This isn't, you know, us against them. It's let's have a mutually agreeable um, relationship that benefits everyone. We're such a holistic ecosystem here. Yay. <laughs>
And then um, my website is my name, virginiabrosma.com, um, which I'm sure that will be in the show title so I don't have to spell it. <laughs> it will be, it will be. And I'll yeah. put it all in the, in the show notes, guys. No Great. worries. Uh, and again, I am Alexis Hyde, hide or die. I am Erica Wong at To Practice Practice. And if you're listening on Apple uh, Podcasts, guys, like and subscribe or give us a review. It really helps. And we'd really appreciate it. And until next time, bye. Bye.